0: I'd like to, um, to speak my version of short, which I'm not sure is going to be short. Let's see. <laughs> I'd like to speak about, um, about listening yeah, and meditation as listening, both internally yeah, to our own experience and to, our, um, to the meeting with the world, to how we meet the world. So when we practice meditation, uh, we are actually listening to the body and the mind as we we practice. So for example, uh, often at the beginning of a session we invite you to listen to the body, uh, listen to the energy levels, and notice what's the appropriate posture. Yeah. And then to listen to the body as you settle into your posture. Um, We also listen to and for particular aspects of experience like we were doing today a little bit with the Vedana. We were tuning in to that aspect, to the Vedana aspect of our experience. And we use language, to speech, which is the other side of the coin from listening, um, to direct awareness as we practice, right, so we use language, we use words to direct awareness to the meditation object, to uh, maybe bring ourselves back when we're distracted. And so there's a, a kind of, if we look at our internal experience when we're meditating, and you can check right now, there's this flow of inner listening and inner speech as we practice. Yeah, That's, that's supportive of what we're doing. And right now, here in this moment, there's also a similar flow between us, right? So I'm using speech to direct your attention to something particular in your experience. Yeah. And um, you are hearing and listening <laughs> to what I'm saying. Yeah. So there's a there's a flow between our minds uh, which is similar to what happens within our mind. Yeah. And one thing that I'm interested in, in uh, pointing to and exploring today is uh, what happens when we bring interest and sensitivity to this flow, to this process. Yeah, when we include this knowing, uh, this is going on. There's, a, there's this flow of listening and of um, speaking within us, between us in many, many different ways. What happens when we remember that both listening and speaking, whether internal or external, are not neutral, yeah, they're not separate, independent events. They're conditioned by many, many factors. Uh, For example, um, they might be conditioned by gender, by um, social norms, by personal history, even by the language that we're that we're using. And I think there's a few of us here that are bilingual, so so we know this well in our experience, right? It's different. There's different vocabulary. There's different concepts yeah, in different languages. So they shape. Yeah, it's not the, 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 neither the speaking nor the listening is, um, is separate, is neutral, is um, independent of conditions. So the invitation, one invitation is to remember all of this and to also remember, or contemplate or open to um, that through speech through listening through communication inner and outer we condition we fabricate back to fabrication <laughs> we fabricate and we create yeah our inner life and also uh, the world also the world that we perceive. So I'm just going to pause here a minute and check if that makes sense to you so far. I'm going to say more about it, but I just want to check because this is, this is quite, a, you know, some, some big statements there. Okay. So this, you know, one thing all of this means is that here is this powerful tool yeah, that we have, that we live through, Yeah, in many ways. Um, it's a tool that can be used to cultivate wisdom, understanding. Um, but it's also a tool that fabricates Yeah, um, all the time. It's fabricating, it's got a fabricating power. So when we look at this internally, yeah, we can see... Um, for example, our internal dialogue yeah. can give form and continuity to transitory appearances, things that appear, yeah, that come together. Yeah, One of the ways we can understand fabrication is just, as Nathan was saying, it's, it's constantly happening. Everything is fabricated. Everything is made up of parts. Everything is a coming together yeah, of things. So our inner dialogue gives form and continuity to um, things that are made up of different components, fabricated, and are also that are also transitory, changing, impermanent. Yes, that's one thing our inner um, dialogue does. Um, it also stabilizes intention yeah. so that it can be expressed externally. Yeah, there's a clarity of intention that comes up internally so that it can be expressed externally. Yeah, yeah. clarity of intention that leads to, to actions, to speech in the world. And when we express externally, when we speak, when we act in the world, this in turn then strengthens um, inner mental habits. Yeah. So they continue to fabricate future intentions and actions. Yeah. It's like a, an ongoing process, an ongoing process through, through communication. So I'm, I'm going to give an example for this, um, which is, is, it's not exactly an imaginary example, it's actually something I did, but I'm going to pretend Nathan did it for, for the example. Because then I can kind of tell you what, what would happen in my mind in that situation without uh, presuming to say what would happen in his. So a few days ago, I um, can't remember what, what was going on, but we didn't have lunch at the same time. And uh, when Nathan came out to, to have his food, he discovered that I had eaten the, the last of the soup. Okay? Okay. So now we're going to reverse it and pretend it happened the other way around and that I came out and realized that he had eaten the last of the soup. Okay, so there's the event. Yeah, <laughs> it's an appearance, it's a transitory thing. Yeah, no more soup, the soup is gone. Okay, um, that's unpleasant. Yeah, if there was a wish to eat soup, yeah, that's, that's, that's unpleasant. It's got an unpleasant Vedana right there. You know no soup for me, um, and around that, the inner speaking begins, right the inner speech begins, right no soup for me, I really wanted soup, um, none left for me, and then we're giving or I'm giving in this case, if I'm using this example, which has happened many times in my life, I'm not pretending not I'm not kind of telling a. A falsehood here. so I'm giving there there is form and continuity given to a passing event okay passing event thought there was soup there's no soup that's what happened there's plenty of other food by the way <laughs> I'm not about to starve okay but there's form and continuity given to that passing event it gains solidity yeah and this um, you know then keeps building up, yeah, in the mind. More solidity. Yeah, more continuity. Oh, this has happened before. Yeah. And, you know, we might think about the other person, oh, you know, he he doesn't think about me, you know, when he when he eats the last of the soup. Um or um, you always do this. Yeah, he always does this. Yeah, it's another very familiar <laughs> language that we have. Um and so through this, yeah, can you see there's the the giving form and continuity to an appearance to so something that's really an appearance arising. And then through that intention starts to build up with the speech. Yeah, I have to tell him. Yeah, I have to express this hurt that I feel right now has to be expressed. Yeah. And if there's no awareness if there's no space around this process it will be then expressed in a certain way yeah you always do this why didn't you leave me any soup or whatever so this is happening in the immediate right right now this is going on and as it's going on it fabricates a certain view right it fabricates the view of uh, the relationship it fabricates the view of the other it fabricates the view of the self yeah i'm the poor one who whose needs aren't um, of interest, you know. The other is always doing this. Uh, our relationship, you know, there's there's something going on here that needs addressing, whatever. I'm, I'm exaggerating. But, you know, this all starts to build up. And the interesting thing is that this is fabricated in the moment in that, and even when it pops, which eventually it will, yeah, it's not going to lead, you know, it's not true in the way it appears at that moment, at least not in my case, Um, and so eventually it will pop, but then it creates the habit of the mind, yeah? So that same loop is more likely to happen again, okay? So it's fabricating this immediacy, but also the habits of the mind and future intentions. And inner mental patterns, yeah, like taking things personally, yeah, and then reacting with resentment, so that might also come up with someone else, yeah, not just with the same person. Okay, and all of that also with language, yeah, of course language is not the only fabricating factor, but it's a significant one there, and it's one that we can notice, this is why it's interesting, yeah, we can can hear, yeah, we can learn to hear what is being said. And then this inner flow, a lot of the time, then moves out into the external, right? And that might be expressed. When it's expressed, when speech is released into the world, um, it also fabricates the experience of others, yeah? The mind states, the mental um, patterns, the intentions of others. So, you know, along with other conditions, what we say, yeah, what we say um, impacts... Yeah? How the other, if we're in a dialogue, how the other will respond. How the other will react. Yeah. And so sometimes we find ourselves in a dialogue, in a conversation, we can really see this. Yeah? And things are intensifying. And, and it actually doesn't matter if we're, you know, if it's a negative or positive thing, <laughs> we can see this. Yeah? It's not about negative, positive. Yeah, we can see that intensification. Uh, between us, of, of the, of the build-up. So I think, um, and, and I, I've said this, some of you have heard me say this, I think particularly in the online Dharma Hall, uh, really aware of the language around, you know, now the, the times that we're in, a whole range of languages come into place, yeah, that we're using, and, and it's, it hasn't been very skillful, <laughs> yeah, as a society yeah hasn't been very skillful and so we can really see the impact that it can have you know what happens when we speak about lockdown uh, or in france they say confinement i think is the word that they use in the us interestingly enough they say stay at home which has a different energy to it you know but we see different um societies yeah here in israel they use isolation as the main word yeah So different societies choose different language, Uh, most of it, social distancing, yeah, most of it is like, is not the best that we could do, (laughs) yeah, because it emphasises a certain aspect of the experience, yeah, the isolation, the separation, yeah, the social distancing, Um, and it doesn't emphasise other things which are there, yeah, like sense of compassion, or care, you know, what happens. Or, or home, you know, if we look at the American usage, yeah? Like, it emphasizes the home sense more than the lockdown, yeah? It makes quite a difference. Um, so these things really matter, you know, what, um, how words shape our experience, impact our experience. So it's it's really helpful to remember that and to remember that there's more possibilities. More possibilities that are um, available to us. So the words we use, our speech has an impact which can be very powerful. Yeah, really, really powerful. And I think those examples I just gave. I think we were playing with this and and um again i said some of these examples but instead of social distancing using compassionate distancing what happens when we change the language in that way instead of lockdown or isolation um thinking to myself saying to myself i'm on retreat right now yeah it's involuntary but that's what i'm doing yeah i'm on retreat right now how does that change yeah or impact my experience, and it might not be completely from, you know, black to white or, you know, red to blue, <laughs> but it just might kind of be somewhere on that spectrum in between the two, yeah. which might be a better, you know, if, especially if you like purple, and then somewhere on the spectrum between red and, and blue, you know, might feel... I'll choose between yellow and, and blue, actually, and be in the green. But anyway, you can see how I'm playing, fabricating my own experience right now, just with colours. Yeah. So we can, you know, it's just about also remembering the possibilities, remembering the impact, remembering the power. So our words, our speech, have an impact and they're powerful. And... They affect others, yeah, the the person who's right here in front of me, um, myself, but also wider and wider circles, yeah. When we begin using particular language or terminology as a society, then it affects wider and wider um, circles. And so through our speech, we can strengthen, yeah, in our societies, in the world we live in, we can strengthen, we can support, um, you know, Yellow or blue. Yeah. We we can we can have an impact on that. You know whether it's um, divisiveness and or, or hatred, um, or justice and equality. You know we can really impact that with the language that we use. Um, I often give this example of of you know being in Israel and. And the, the Hebrew language is completely gender divided. I may have given this example with you guys as well. So it's when you speak in the plural, you have to choose. When you say us, yeah, you have to choose if you're going to speak in the masculine or the feminine. And the commonly used form is the masculine. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So, even a group of women, when they speak in the plural, about us, about themselves, will use the masculine form. That's the common form. Okay? That has an impact. It has a huge impact. Huge. And we can change that. Yeah? I've been doing that now for probably about five years. When I teach, especially when I teach in Israel, I speak only in the feminine or sometimes I speak in both. I say the feminine and the masculine. And slowly more and more people are doing that, (laughs) in the meditation circles at least. And writing that way. And calling the teachers, the group of teachers in the feminine, because there's more women than men (laughs) amongst the teacher body. Here in Israel. Okay. So these things are, you know, they we start with something and it's weird and it's hard. Yeah. But it maybe it matters to us. Yeah. Maybe I don't want my nieces to grow up in the same kind of language that I grew up in, yeah. Where their identity is, is constantly overpowered by the male. Yeah. So that happens to be important to me. So I, I kind of make that effort, and it's weird, and it's difficult. And then it starts to, to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. I remember speaking to one of my younger nieces when she was about eight. And again, children has to be, there's no neutral word for children. It's feminine or masculine. And I said to her, you know, actually, when someone asks your parents how many children they have, They should say, We have three daughters, not three sons. It is what they would be saying. Because they have two daughters and one son. (laughs) You are the majority. So, kind of all of that, you know, we we play with it. Yeah. What matters to us. And, And it makes an impact. And I remember her face was like, Wow, really? You know, really? Yeah. So through our speech, we we make them the world, yeah? We make our own mind and we make the world. We fabricate experience for ourselves and others, yeah? Both internally and externally. Yeah, words have a lot of power. And I want to give an example of this from, uh, I've spoken about her, I'm sure, I remember. I think on the previous retreat, I was also, I just, wa- I just watched some interviews with Dia Khan And uh, I've just watched one of her films recently, so I'm going to give more examples from her. Um, And for those who don't remember, which is absolutely fine, she's a a filmmaker, Norwegian-British filmmaker of Pakistani-Afghan heritage. And um, her last film, made in 2017, uh, was inspired by an experience she had Uh, I'll I'll write her name in at the end, Um, an experience she had uh, when she was interviewed for the BBC about, I think, about kind of multiculturalism. And she made a really simple statement in that interview. She spoke of um, the fact that um, people like her parents who immigrated to Europe from um, other countries and other cultures. Had to accept that they wouldn't be able to um, take their culture from their home country and bring it as it was into, say, Britain, yeah, and not be affected by the culture around. So they had to to accept that. And she said, equally, people of, um, say, white heritage in the UK have to accept. That the UK will never be a um, only white society, a white only society. Yeah? So everyone has to accept as a basis for living together well, yeah, that change, yeah that change is happening by the fact that we're here together. So that was her statement of something like it, and as a result, she received, Um, a barrage of um, very serious, some some very serious hate uh, and threats and, you know, really horrific things. Um, A lot of it from the U.S., where um, it's legal to say those things. Um, And she decided that she wanted to understand, yeah, she wanted to understand what... um, What led to someone yeah, feeling that way, holding that, those views, speaking yeah, speaking out these, these views? And, um, and so she started reaching out and she ended up contacting um, people particularly in the US. And she went there and she spent a year and a half doing interviews with white supremacists and neo-Nazis and getting to know them. And when I was watching the film, uh, one thing that I want to bring here and really touched me uh, was the way she communicates, yeah? the way she communicates. So there were, there's a few um, pieces in the film that after she's had some dialogue with someone for a while, it might be a few hours, it might be a few days, yeah. At some point, she says to this other person, who's always a white man, she asks them if she can read to them some of the messages she received. And when they give permission, she simply reads out to them some of these messages. And she asks them how they feel when they hear that. Okay. How do you feel when you hear this? And it's really it's so powerful cuz you know, here are these really tough what what we perceive as very tough individuals and and then she reads out these messages to them. And before I, I, I say what happens, I'll just stop and say that what is really interesting is, of course, not only what she says, yeah, but how she says it. Yeah, not only what she says, but how she says it. Um, so the communication, yeah, when there's communication between two people, it includes body language. It includes the tone of voice. Yeah, it includes the facial expression and what really are you are you hearing me clearly still yeah okay and what was really powerful about the way she she does all of this is that you do not hear in her tone of voice you don't hear blame. you don't hear shaming yeah there's no finger pointed um there's interest yeah there's interest and there's that question, how does this make you feel? When you hear this, how does this make you feel? And at least in the, in the interviews that made it, made it to the film, <laughs> um, you see the impact immediately. There's a softening. Yeah, There's a softening in, in the whole body language of the person she's speaking to and um, there's also discomfort and you see it first in the body and then they say it this makes me feel uncomfortable yeah i don't like listening to this yeah so there's discomfort and that in itself is incredibly powerful yeah you just see that yeah and it's not the first time they've heard (laughs) someone called um you know a derogatory term because of the color of their skin or because they're a woman yeah but here in, in this context. So there's this immediate change of the softening and the discomfort. There's a space where they can voice that and say that. And then there's also change over time, yeah, which is very, very interesting. So I think three of the people that she interviews uh, end up leaving that whole movement and that whole way of life. Yeah. And two of them are are very, um, very involved and very high up. One of them was the head of the, neo-na- the American neo-Nazi movement for 20 years, yeah. So they're, they're very, you know, this has been their life for a very long time. And so the change in the moment, the change over time, yeah. And, and you know, they, they say it's because we got to know you. Because you became our friend. Yeah. Because you became our friend. So it's very, very powerful for me. So for communication to be meaningful, yeah, listening needs to happen. And we come back to the listening that we started with. Listening needs to happen. Um, and this includes listening as we're speaking. So this is something Dia Khan was doing very well, she was listening to the other when is the right time to bring this in and this is also one of the most powerful teachings of the Buddha about right speech is, is it timely is this the right time for this it may be true, it may be useful but is this the right time Can this person in front of me hear it can I hear it? So really, that's she really embodies um, this listening, yeah, listening as um, as we're speaking, um, and also listening as another spe- another speaks. Yeah, so when we're in conversation, we're hearing, and we're also listening, and the two are not the same thing. Yeah, they're not the same thing. Yeah, so there's the sensory aspect of the hearing, there's the mental aspect of the interpretation and the comprehension. And when we start seeing this, the listening and the speaking as co-arising, yeah, arising together, yeah, mutually dependent, and impacting on each other, yeah? So the way, and we know this from our own experience, the way someone listens to us impacts what we say, impacts how we say it, yeah? We know that, we really know that. So the way of listening colors what is said, as well as colors our own perception if we're the listener, (laughs) yeah? So the way we listen also colors what we hear yeah, what we take in so this is true in communication between us and it's equally true in communication within us yeah. the way we listen to ourselves yeah. we also have different ways of listening to ourselves with patience and without yeah. with um, harshness or with kindness with a certain expectation or uh, an openness. So it's the same when we listen to to another, it's the same when we listen to our own experience. So the way I listen to experience affects how experience is perceived. And it affects how it appears. And it affects the range of responses that's available to me. That range of responses that's available to me. And so just for a moment, I want us to do a little experiment to close. Just pick one person on the screen. Doesn't matter who. And see if you can listen to that other person with your whole being, even without them saying anything at all, even with all of us being muted. And just pick one person. And just listen to them and see what happens. Just listen to the other and listen to what is happening in you. With openness, doesn't need to be anything in particular. This is part of our practice these days. Yeah, the practice of listening and of speaking and of connecting, yeah, across screens, across telephones and through the walls of buildings. And, you know, we do that in our practice all the time. So, yeah, thank you for your listening and your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.